0: I'm John Bruner with O'Reilly, and my guest today is Rahul Kamdar. He's the director of product management and strategy at TIBCO. TIBCO makes application infrastructure software and uh, specializes in integration and data analytics. Welcome Rahul, good to have you on. Thanks so much, John. Happy to be here. So today we're gonna to be talking about some directions in analytics and, and data infrastructure. And the idea that some modern ideas like microservices and APIs and cloud native applications are going to kill the traditional idea of the enterprise service bus. So I wonder if we might start with some preliminaries. If you could sort of describe this old idea, the enterprise service bus, the thing that a lot of companies are thinking about replacing with newer software.
1: Sure. So um, you know, first and foremost, I think especially all these bits and pieces are something that's very very fascinating to us at Tipco because um, a the you know the enterprise service bus, so to say, is something that mm-hmm. we've been doing for almost two decades now. Uh, It also kind of is part of our product name or rather the company name. Uh, So, Tipco, as it originally started off, was the information bus company. And uh, Hmm. the whole idea of the information bus or the service bus has been very integral to what we've been doing for a very long period of time. Now, the ESB in general uh, is kind of a centralized system where various discrete application systems platforms that obviously have their own ways of talking to each other their own ways of exchanging data kind of come to a common central system uh, and you know really just publish or send their data uh, in, in the format that they are comfortable with and then the central system is responsible to either transform it change it maybe even process it before it goes to let's say the destination system so as a result of this basically uh, you know you know companies and customers all over the world are essentially able to bring all the disparate systems that they have and make them talk to each other now that was the central idea of application integration in general mm-hmm. and the ESB as it's called um kind of did this really well for a very long period of time uh, so you know it was a it was a very standard architecture in terms of having a common bus in the center and then having various different either adapters or plugins so to say uh, that kind of speak to Uh, to the other systems that that may be around uh, around them so that's that's the ESB now the other terms I guess that uh, we just brought up here and obviously most of it is uh, has been gaining traction in more recent times uh, and obviously things such as microservices let's begin with that by far one of the most interesting implementation patterns that we've seen over the last two to three years in terms of being uh, you know in terms of getting adopted Um, but really really about building services that, um, you know, that still, again, expose functionality of the application that, you know, everybody's always had, but doing it in such a way that they are granular, they are self-contained, they are smaller in terms of, you know, uh, traditionally the function or the size that they represent, Mm -hmm. and they don't really expose a lot of dependencies. So that's obviously part of being being self-contained again. Uh, In some ways, they are, uh, I would say, also kind of... uh, uh, you know, derived from the traditional SOA style of services, SOA being service-oriented architecture, but really, really represent a niche of that architecture. I mean, in terms of the set of practices that you would follow so that you would build these microservices that are very easy to develop, very, uh, I would say, less expensive to manage, operate, and deploy, um, and also uh, very, very uh, elastic and scalable when taken to concepts such as cloud. Uh, the second idea, obviously, about APIs, again, something that's uh, extremely key uh, to to companies pretty much all over the world right now, uh, both from a technology standpoint as well as from a business standpoint. Uh, so APIs really take the concept of services by itself and extend them to uh, really make them available for even external consumers in many cases in the form of these APIs, as they are called, which is really just uh, defining the services in a standardized format and making them available in a very consumable manner for let's say developers or third party partners and things like that and finally obviously this whole terminology of you know cloud native applications more or less i would say uh, popularized by the uh, platform as a service uh, uh, you know vendors in the business uh, but really the notion of building applications so that they are not just something that you can pick and drop into the cloud but something they are that are really native that really embrace uh, all the capabilities of cloud and really, you know, obviously bring bring all of that to strength. So that's that's my take on actually all these stuff. Um,
0: <laughs> so you're moving from a uh, from an environment where you're kind of providing this common interface point for uh, you know every application to one where you're sort of breaking up the application into microservices, going through the discipline of creating APIs for them and and connecting them in that manner, and uh, looking to implement capabilities that take advantage of uh, all of the capabilities of, of sort of the cloud, so universal connectivity, uh, cheap computing, and so on.
1: Absolutely, and and uh, yeah, I mean, in in a sense, it's really going from a very centralized architecture to a very distributed architecture, while also leveraging all the advances that are now available uh, from a cloud standpoint. So yeah, spot on. So l-
0: let's talk about what what this changeover would look like from the point of view of of the user of a data system inside a inside a company. Um, what, you know, what, what type of software are you talking about generally? And, and, um, how does the experience look now?
1: So, um, I think for most users and for most developers who are kind of, uh, moving towards this kind of an architecture, um, I think the first thing that's really, really important, um, is that, uh, it's, it's really critical to embrace or, you know, accept the fact that a change is required, not just on the technology side. But also in many cases on the, I would say, the organization or the culture side of things. So not only do you break down your applications from large, big, uh, you know, what are traditionally called monoliths, but really break uh, even your teams down into, uh, you know, more of functional groups that are potentially working in a very agile, you know, in fact, agile scrum way in many cases, so that they can um, reach their end results a lot more faster, a lot more easier. And at the same time, we really be able to focus on a very specific, common functional set of uh, of services or functional set of applications that they want to build. Now, that's that's so to say, uh, you know, obviously at a very important level, a change that must be uh, accepted and obviously implemented. Uh, but from an uh, you know from a pure application execution standpoint, or from a pure application development standpoint, there are a lot of new patterns and things that are uh, I would say extremely relevant. And these are things hmm. like obviously there's the uh, twelve-factor app readiness, which is really uh, it's not a standard, it's not a spec, but it's really a set of guidelines that have been created for applications, which which are really ready for this new web and cloud-native world. Um, and and you know, being able to uh, build them for those environments and being able to succeed in those environments, and and at the same time, obviously, uh, be very resilient, right? I mean, just yesterday we heard about obviously the uh, you know, the outage at the Amazon S3. Uh, and you want and you know, while some services suffered, for example, Netflix, on the other hand, was pretty successful and not mm-hmm. uh, did not really experience any kind of an outage. Now, it's it's not just just about the service that they've built. It's not just about the content that they have, uh, and not just about let's say the infrastructure that they are leveraging, but it's also about the set of practices that they have very strongly adopted within their uh, within their application lifecycle that uh, obviously has helped them stay resilient so sure you you want to be fast you want to be functionally rich but at the same time you want to make sure you know the risk is also uh, very well taken care of right
0: and um of course uh, the, the the S3 outage uh yesterday from from when we're recording this um w- was instructive because it it took down a lot of uh, amazon's own reporting tools and sort of status tools itself and i think it was interesting to anyone who uses this kind of software to see how easy it is to become reliant on the uh you know, on the same set of infrastructure for everything? And what happens when you do that?
1: Yep, exactly. And I think I think that's, that's, um, you know, that's a that's a modern reality that most uh, enterprises uh, will anyway need to kind of work with. Um, And I think, uh, you know, the thing that you mentioned, right, I think that's, that's truly important that with as much, uh, I would say, reliability built into the Amazon stack, and for the Amazon stack of services, it's still a pretty uh, pretty challenging thing to completely rely on a single infrastructure a single platform provider and that's where this whole idea of obviously uh, multi-cloud also uh, you know is, is something that's truly truly important especially for you know companies pretty much um, spanned uh, across the globe so not just let's say uh, you know specific to data centers within the US or within certain particular regions but a lot of companies are obviously you know have lo- global operations and relying completely and entirely on a single vendor is is always going to be uh is always going to be a challenge and in some ways all of this kind of comes together back uh with uh, how you implement your application so you know the the idea of still building microservices that are portable that are capable of actually running on multiple different cloud platforms and obviously are still cloud native
0: so uh, d- does this shift to uh you know microservices and uh and new apis and cloud native apps mean that we're completely moving
1: away from traditional forms of of integration like esbs this is actually a very uh, interesting and in many ways uh, often a very um, also a very controversial question in some some discussions that that we've had uh, with some of our customers but but the reality is that uh, you know esbs the way they were traditionally done the centralized architecture will potentially still remain for certain uh, i would say at least the certain backend and many cases even legacy but mm-hmm. all the newer form of uh, implementations, newer architectures that customers are going to adopt are likely to start moving away from ESBs and start adopting more distributed integration um, you know architectures. Um, mm-hmm. In in the in the new in the new world, right? I mean, sure, uh, you're still going to build obviously these uh, distributed applications and uh, you know an architecture that obviously kind of supports that. But at the same time, the set of different systems, set of different data sources and applications that you still need to talk to is going to remain and probably get more complex uh, because of, let's say, the hybrid deployments, right? Some customers. Uh, who have always been on premise or, you know, in a private data center now, are and as we just spoke about, are starting to deploy in multiple clouds, or in some cases, mm-hmm. something on a private cloud, something else on a public cloud, something else on third party partners, and they still want all their systems to be able to talk to each other. So integration by itself is starting to become um, even more key, if I may argue. Uh, but yes, how it's being done is definitely changing. And ESBs are mostly for i would say uh, you know the traditional architectures that may still remain but all the new ones are likely to adopt uh, a more distributed integration architecture
0: i'm sure a lot of listeners uh you know especially at big companies that have tons and tons of applications um, all connected to an ESB, are wondering how they should approach integration as you know newer application models become available but of course they're still reliant on a lot of their older software that's not going away anytime soon how, how do you approach um you know adding a new application or a new capability that's that's able to take advantage of these uh modern design principles and implement it alongside uh older software that's still using an, an ESP approach.
1: Yeah. I, I think this is an awesome question because you know this is this is really putting in practice um all these all these newer concepts and all the new architecture that's available out there. And this is something even we at Tipco, we are kind of tackling with our customers, uh, I would say over the last two and a half years now. And everybody who's wanting to move from a traditional architecture and wants to adopt all the benefits of all these newer architectures of obviously containers, PaaS, cloud, DevOps, microservices, things like that. A, it's a uh, you know it's a gradual transition. Um, you mm-hmm. know what we have seen, it's it's not a big bang approach for almost pretty much any of the major customers that we have. Uh, B, most customers start off with a small pilot. They, uh, you know, tend to figure out a small representative project. That's probably a very good candidate uh, in terms of, uh, you know, also representing functionality as well as possibly the teams that may get impacted and use that to do two things, right? One is obviously migrate from a a traditional architecture into some of the new pieces. But at the same time, get the new, uh, uh, you know, get the people trained and ramped up on some of these newer concepts rather than have them go out there and, you know, basically change everything in one go, uh, really do it, uh, you know, one, one small project at a time, so to say, and then obviously repeat and iterate that very rapidly and aggressively across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third thing that we've been doing is uh, we've been working with some of our customers, for example, to build what we call migration tooling or migration toolkits uh, that are, you know, obviously a set of different things that automate a lot of the stuff. But still, at the end of the day, there's one piece of advice that I, you know, I definitely give out to every customer and something that's extremely key for anyone is that a lift and shift style of uh, move from a traditional to a new architecture is actually horrible uh, mm-hmm. because we believe that in the short term, sure, it may, you know, it may kind of do some check boxes for you that you've made a move. But in the medium to long term, the operational cost of it is very very high. So mm-hmm. we we absolutely recommend that you know you you do a migration, but always always plan for some some amount of refactoring, wherein your you know if not anything else, at least breaking down your large monoliths into smaller microservices so that they become a lot more easier to manage obviously there's a lot other things a lot many other things that you can do as well but i think that's 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 at least essential
0: so realistically speaking it's always going to be a gradual transition something where you're you're kind of going uh, service by service and modernizing them as you go
1: absolutely absolutely i agree i mean um, and and that's that's an approach that will obviously uh you know it's it's risk averse to a large extent because you still have your uh, older stack in place. And if something goes wrong, you can still rely on that. Uh, but gradually, yes, you definitely want to, you know, start moving to to the uh, new architecture. I do want to call out one more thing, though, that whenever you do mm-hmm. this, uh, obviously, and most customers uh, or most people would do it, uh, but you do want to make sure that you do a very good risk assessment specific to your environment. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I would say, case studies and a lot of content out there, which is a little bit more generic uh mm-hmm. but most certainly make sure that you tailor that specific to your use case your environment your people uh and start building you know a plan around that because i mean i mean things like even multi-cloud right i mean uh, we have we have so many uh, customers who are for example running uh, almost like a four-prong uh, deployment stack one on amazon one on azure one on uh, google cloud and one on private data centers just mm-hmm. A, to not be locked in, B, to, you know, just kind of distribute. And in fact, in many cases, C is based on certain business requirements. Like, mm-hmm. uh, for example, in, in some cases, business needs the, you know, very good machine learning or AI capabilities. Uh, and maybe, you know, they they bet on uh, one of these vendors for that, uh, while in some other cases, it's, you know, pure costs. And, and they will mm-hmm. bet on certain other vendor to kind of do that. So, yeah, tailor the plan. In terms of you know what what you go uh, go about with
0: speaking of those deployment strategies is that kind of multi-pronged approach something where you you see the industry stabilizing i mean there's there's been a lot of movement where initially people were reluctant to move on to the cloud now i've heard from others as well that this four-prong approach or three-prong approach is popular do you see the area sort of stabilizing there or do you think it, it continues to
1: shift um, I personally believe that uh, now and especially we've started seeing some of this actually take place at least for our customer base over the last six to nine months, um, that customers a have started embracing the idea of public cloud in fact some of them have actually gone out there and committed a full-fledged uh, uh, you know public cloud shift, so to say I mean NL for example who, who spoke at the Amazon reinvent last year in November who's also our customer. Uh, has a plan uh, of moving off to, uh, you know, completely to a public cloud stack by end of 2018, which is the end of next year. And it's a pretty mm-hmm. ambitious plan if you think about it. Uh, so, so you know, that's that's one big major energy supplier in, in Europe, actually based out of Italy. Uh, but, but that's the case with a lot of our banking customers, a lot of the others as well. So uh, I definitely think that uh, there is now, A, uh, you know, an adoption of the public cloud approach. Uh, B, I think um, most of them because of the risk factor will bet on likely more than one cloud provider may not necessarily be all um, mm-hmm. but most certainly at least two options uh, so as to kind of um, you know have the flexibility and that's that's kind of where uh, so you know this this whole discussion about microservices APIs and cloud native really comes to uh, you know comes to fore because uh, if you are not ready uh, with this kind of an architecture or with these kind of approaches it's going to be extremely challenging for you mm-hmm. to really, you know, go and achieve this business objective of moving towards the cloud. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I to answer your specific question, definitely, I do think this starting to settle now. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the cloud providers themselves might, uh, there might be consolidation in the space in general. Uh, but at least the, I would say the mega cloud vendors are obviously here to stay. And I think, uh, you know, customers are starting to bet on them for the long term now.
0: Cool. And it's a big integration need for everyone as a, as a result.
1: Yep, and that's uh, that's why you'll see us be very happy to be honest. But uh, on on a on a very real note, I think um, the, the integration problem by itself has evolved. Uh, you know, from a very uh, I would say private data center integration spaghetti problem that it was called earlier, is changed now into a very multi cloud DevOps friendly, uh, a different focus on security while you're doing integration. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, those are the kind of factors. So the integration problem by itself has evolved a lot but uh fortunately for us it has actually expanded as well uh, but uh, and you and you know i think uh, one of the good things at least uh, on the integration side that we've been seeing is um our role is to help our customers bring the best of breed that they want together right so whether it's a, whether that's a public cloud infrastructure provider whether that's a container technology whether that's an uh, let's say an erp system or whether that's you know data source systems or database providers so so i think it's been very interesting to be uh, to be in that uh, you know in the center of all of this and trying to uh, bring all of that together but yeah i mean very very evolved uh, role for us uh, from an integration standpoint
0: all right rahul it's been a pleasure to speak with you if listeners want to find you online where should they look
1: thanks so much john it's been awesome actually chatting with you as well this morning uh, if you want to find a little bit more about some of the stuff that I was talking about and some of the stuff that I work on, the website to go to probably would be tipco.com B-W-C-E. And if you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter. Trust me, I don't troll or I don't trouble you with spam. <laughs> but uh, you can reach me. My handle is Rahul Kamdar, R-A-H-U-L-K-M-D-A-R. And thank you again for having me today.
0: Thanks very much, Rahul.